This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. In 2021, just over 10,000 deaths in Canada took place due to what we would call human euthanasia or medical assistance in dying. Now, that's just over 3% of deaths in Canada. We're not living in Canada, but I'm sure many of us have family members in Canada. Like myself, I have family in Canada and many South Africans are moving, as we know, outside of our own borders, making their homes in Canada, the UK, Australia, all over the world. We go into communities and find South Africans living, thriving and being actively involved in society. Why did I begin this conversation today on Voice of Change by saying this is what's happening in Canada? Well, in many other countries, human euthanasia is legal and it is something that we as Christians have to look at, something we have to, you know, have a conversation about and something that we need to really analyze as to our own deeply moral and spiritually held beliefs when it comes to how we feel about the practice of medical assistance in dying. It is myself, Lauren Jacobs, and here on Voice of Change on Cape Pulpit, we do not shy away from speaking about the hard conversations. And I want to say that this has hit me quite deeply to read this statistic and to know that I have family in Canada and to know that family members of mine were given the option to be medically assisted in dying. They did not take that option due to their spiritual beliefs. So I began to create a conversation in, in, the fa- in my family as to what do we really feel about this? I know that it is a deep topic and I have one of the most fantastic guests joining me on the show today, Dr. Ewen Golliger. Now, Dr. Golliger is an assistant professor of medicine and physiology at the University of Toronto. And he has been a doctor for a very, very long time. One who is actively involved in the conversation on medical assistance in dying. One who is unapologetically a Christian and one who has written a lot on this topic and who himself has had his own patients ask him to you know, help them be assisted towards their own death. How does this impact his beliefs? How does it impact how we should feel? It's all coming up on the show today. Dr. Gallagher is going to be joining me to talk about human euthanasia and his own perspective and his opinion as a practicing doctor and as someone who is living in a country where this practice is legal and anyone who maybe is not good at, at administering this practice, well, their own ethics get called into belief. So it is, a, it is a very deep conversation. It's a very important one, one that we as Christians need to have because even here in South Africa, we know that this is not a legal practice, but we have even faith leaders as well as just everyday activists saying this should become an option. As Christians, we need to know where we stand. It's coming up all today in the next hour on Voice of Change. So don't go anywhere because Dr. Golika is with me after this. It is going to be quite a show today here on Voice of Change because we are going into a territory that I am really, really looking forward to, but something that we don't often talk about here in South Africa because 
we know issues such as human euthanasia is not something we talk about a lot because it's still illegal here in South Africa. We don't practice it, but in many other countries, it is actually a reality. And so today, joining me, Dr. Gallagher, is coming to us all the way out from Canada. And before we get into this, a very important topic. I want to say welcome to the show, Doctor, today. It is so good to have you with me. And thank you for making time in your busy schedule to discuss this with us. Well, thank you very much for having me, Lauren. It's my pleasure to join you. Now, as I said, in Canada and in several other countries, quite a few different countries, assisted death or obviously what we call human euthanasia, it's it's legal and it's frequent, frequently practiced. And I know for us here in South Africa, like I said, it's not something we talk about, but I know for myself that we have family members that live in Canada and recently we were faced with a family member, you know, being really, really sick and you know, moving towards their death from cancer and they were offered assistance and it was suddenly something we had to start to think about, something we had never thought about before as a family and it became a reality and that was part of why I wanted to do the show today because many of us have family members that live in countries where this is legal, it's practice and even though it's a moral issue, it's a spiritual issue, we have to talk about it. Now in 2021, uh, over 3% of deaths in Canada was through medical assistance in dying. And I know that that equates to about 10,000 deaths just last year alone. And I want to know from you, how does this really impact an individual when they approach something like healthcare, when you're dealing with a chronic illness or when you're dealing with pain, when you're dealing with something like cancer or something that you know is not curable, ultimately may lead to your death, how does, you know, even that anxiety you feel when you have a medical diagnosis, if you can have this assistance in dying, how does this really impact your decision on how you're going to move forward with healthcare? What have you witnessed in the people that you've been with, that you've served as a doctor? Does something like this really impact how a person deals with their illness? Yeah, thank you, Lauren. That's a really, really thoughtful question. To be honest with you, I think that it has a pretty variable effect on on different patients, really depending on their context, their circumstances, their kind of goals and values in life. You know, many people, when assisted death was first legalized, described how it felt incredibly liberating for them. It, It restored a sense of control. They felt like as they approached their death, uh, you know, they knew that they could sort of um, de- de- determine when when time was up. They could, you know, have family at their bedside. They could organize their celebration of life and then move uh, toward uh, death at the time of their choice. And someone would come into the room and administer a, a lethal uh, dose of, of medications. Um, the uh, So for some people, you know, I think it it felt empowering. And I think that's one of the attractions of this practice um, and why it's a challenging moral issue, because for, for some people, it genuinely, if it feels good to have, have the option. I think for a lot of other people, people who typically feel um, less valued in society, people who are socially or economically marginalized, especially those whom I've met in, in the community of disabled persons, Mm -hmm. Uh, typically feel a lot more threatened by it. Uh, They feel like 
there's a sense in which uh, their existence, the value of their existence is sort of questioned and, and up for uh, debate in the first place. And now that the laws have been specifically structured so that they are eligible for euthanasia, even when they're not dying uh, from from illness, uh, it, it sort of, I think, presents a direct threat to the value of their existence, their presence in society. So so for for some people, it's empowering. For many others, it's um, it's quite distressing, provokes fear, anxiety, questions about whether the healthcare system is really devoted to meeting their needs or or simply um, wants to take the sort of easiest option by administering assisted death. So, yeah, it, I think for individuals, it's extremely variable. I've seen lots of people writing and talking from from both sides of this and. Um, that variability is part of what makes it such a challenging issue to think about. Hmm. How has your personal sense of calling to be a doctor and also being a Christian, how is this being challenged by a profession that we say protects life and values life into one that also, you know, takes upon itself to determine now when life ends something that I know a lot of people feel and we have that general saying of, you know, God determines when life begins and he determines when life ends. And we've always kind of heard that. I, I remember hearing that a lot growing up. How does your personal sense of this calling, is it challenged by what we're talking about when we talk about human euthanasia and your calling to be a doctor and protecting life? Has it been impacted by something like this? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's been a it's been a a very interesting challenge. I think the first I mean I mean it's raised all kinds of important questions to think about. So for example, um what is the relationship between my my religious beliefs as a Christian and how I practice as a professional? Mm-hmm. And to what extent is it appropriate for one's personal moral and religious beliefs to determine sort of professional practice. And uh, when there's disagreement uh, about whether um, this act is morally acceptable or not, and many of the people who line up in opposition find themselves united by uh, shared religious commitments, then often people tend to write off our our opposition to the practice as something that's just a personal religious matter. And so really have to think about, you know, what is, you know, how does being a Christian shape the way I practice medicine and, and to what extent should it? So uh, that's, uh, that's been a big part of this. The, I think another part of this has been um, just understanding what is, what is the point of medicine? Like, what does it mean to be a doctor? Hmm. Um, traditionally, medicine has been about restoring health, restoring and preserving the function of the body. And even in the context of caring for the dying, that meant relief of pain, helping people to function to the best of their ability as they journeyed towards their death. That's really what palliative care has been about over the last four or five decades, is finding new ways, new strategies, new treatments to help people flourish, even physically, as they as they um, journey towards their death. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, with the proposal that doctors actually turn around and cause death. Now we're actually taking aim at the body. We're undertaking to destroy the body or end its function in order to, um, you know, in the name of, of relieving suffering. And so mm. it sort of begs the question of what really is medicine for? Is it just about gratifying people's desires, helping them get, get what they want, empowering their autonomy? Or is there some higher good that, that we're supposed to aim at? 
and and coming to understand and really having a clear idea of what medicine is for, especially when it means that you're going to have to disagree with many of those around you who you're you know working alongside every day about what the purpose of the profession is. It creates uh, you know challenges of working together, communicating. And, and mutual understanding about how best to care for patients. So it creates challenges. One of the big challenges here in Ontario is that um, the College of Physicians, which regulates the practice of medicine, has seen fit to mandate what's called an effective referral process. So if a patient requests euthanasia, um, it's not that we're not actually allowed to simply you know, advise the patient that we don't offer that. Uh, intervention, they, we actually are required to refer them to a physician who's willing to do it. And the problem with that is that a referral really makes us complicit or involved in what happens to the patient. It's something that, uh, you know, if we were, were to refer someone for some other, you know, unethical procedure, we'd be held accountable uh, professionally for doing so. So it's a very serious thing to make a, to make mm-hmm. a referral. But Ontario is the only jurisdiction in the world, one of the very few that actually mandates this at, um, you know, the potential uh, uh, cost of of professional discipline. So many people have had to leave practice or change Mm -hmm. their practice environment or limit their practice in order to be faithful to their moral and and religious convictions about what medicine is and how it should be practiced. So those are some of the challenges that that this kind of sea change in medical ethics in Canada Mm -hmm. has occasion for, for us. Mm. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that as well. And just listening, you know, I can think of actually so many things, so many conversations that I've had with doctors across different fields, such as uh, gynecologists that I've met that don't want to perform abortions due to their moral and religious beliefs, and how that has impacted their profession and how they're going to do this and what happens and the laws in in South Africa and just different people whose lives you meet. There are so many challenges. We know that as Christians, we talk about external challenges. We talk about our faith being challenged by maybe the culture of the day or the things that we are exposed to, the things that we have to decide on in this life. But we don't realize how challenging it really can become when we are living in situations where the law dictates one thing. And maybe if we're not really doing a certain thing, we become questionable. It's like, oh, because you don't do that thing, suddenly you are ethically at fault in some way, yet it's it's underpinned by your religious beliefs or your moral beliefs. And I think that it's 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 such a deep conversation and I'm sure really challenging. And one of the other things that I, I was thinking of, and it's something that I've thought about a lot this year, having lost four loved ones, is that, a you lot. know, this that is a lot. And uh, it, it you start to think of the afterlife a lot and you start to think about grief mm. and you, and death and mourning. And I'm sure that this is something that you've been exposed to so much. But there's a conversation, you know, around medical assistance in dying, human euthanasia that goes around that. And we have even heard religious leaders here in South Africa saying that individuals have the right to die with dignity. And so their dignity must be protected at all costs. So the medical profession itself then has to assist in protecting that dignity. And the one way they can do that is to assist people to die with dignity. Has this meant then that death itself has lost something of that there being something greater in life, that afterlife that we begin to think about when we face with with death? 
does that mean that it's kind of like, well, we're doing this, we're we're there so that the, the patient has dignity, but we're forgetting that there's an afterlife, there's something greater. Uh, what does that really tell us about how we as people are beginning to see life in general if there is no thought that there's something more than this? Yeah, that's such a great question. And one of the things that's really struck me is is the way in which um, euthanasia really functions um, as, a, as a treatment for suffering. So we're basically using death to treat suffering. Mm. And the very strange thing, the, the thing that makes this categorically different than other kinds of treatments in medicine is that I have no way of following up to find out what's happened to the patient after they're dead. Mm. Um, and so it's really entirely predicated on assumption about what it's like to be dead. That's really built into the practice. It's an unacknowledged assumption. Um, and I think the fact that, that you know, the reality that at least from the perspective of our daily lived experience as humans, we have no direct experience of what it's like to be dead. It's an act of remarkable hubris and confidence to use death as a treatment for suffering to say, I can know confidently that someone's better off dead and therefore I'm going to end their life. Um, and I think, so I think that just highlights the way in which, um, the kind of basic life assumptions of secularism or other kinds of, um, you know, widely held religious beliefs um, are shaping the way that medicine is being practiced and changing. You know, if you really are deeply convinced that there's no life after death and that all there is is this life and you find this life not worth living, well, it kind of, you know, it kind of makes sense to just end it. Mm. That's what you might think dignity looks like. But I think the concern I have is that people are forgetting that they don't really know for sure, at least as a physician, yeah. I have no authority to say whether somebody's better off dead. And the patient certainly doesn't know either because they don't know what it's like to be dead. So mm. we're, we're making a massive leap of faith uh, with this. And uh, I think in many ways that should be evidence that it's actually off limits for mm. someone who's, uh, you know, a, a, a dedicated and conscientious healthcare professional. Mm. And uh, we usually say, and one of the things the grief counselor said to me this year, you know, when you when you lose a loved one is that it's very insensitive if you go to a funeral, for example, to say to someone, I'm sorry for your loss, but the person that you loved is better off now where they are, you know, than being yeah. here. And a, a counselor will say to you, that's actually very insensitive to say that you should never say that to someone who's lost a loved one. But then again, you know, exactly like you say now, it's kind of like when you're assisting someone to die, you're saying, well, they actually are better off where they're going. And uh, there actually is this. But yet we're not allowed to say that to someone at a funeral. But yet we are allowed to practice this uh, in just this practice that we have is to actually physically assist someone to die because it's going to be better off there. It just kind of seems that there there might be a lot of debate. Of course, there is debate, but kind of that sense of there might be a contradiction. And I'm also thinking, and I'm sure, and this is actually a question I want to ask you, is that, you know, I know a lot of people who, you know, have to put their animals down that they love. And that's what we do in, in 
many countries. Of course, we euthanize our animals when they get old or they're very sickly. And I've met a lot of people who actually live with a lot of guilt once they make that decision, even if they know that the animal is very old and they, they have heart failure or whatever it may be, there is a level of guilt that people sit with afterwards. Is that something that people or family members even experience when their loved ones are assisted to die in human euthanasia? What is the impact on the family and the loved ones that are left behind? I'm sure there is a lot on an emotional level that people actually feel or even a sense of was that the right decision? Maybe they could have got better. Maybe we could have had more time. Yeah, so that's an that's a important area that I think, you know, hasn't been attended to enough is, you know, what is the impact on those who are left behind? I think we're only starting to learn about that, to be honest with you. In a lot of ways in Canada, there's been so much enthusiasm for assisting death that people were keen to hear, you know, the the quote unquote good stories about people having a peaceful death at the timing and place of their choice with the people they loved around them. Um, And the difficult stories, you know, are really starting to come out in the media all the time. And some of those stories really relate to the impact on families. I've personally spoken to people who've really struggled uh, Mm -hmm. with their loved one's decision to obtain assisted death. And Mm -hmm. families, I think, feel quite conflicted because, you know, it was the family member's choice to, to take it. So they feel in many ways bound to sort of respect and not criticize their loved one for making that choice. But at the same time, they feel acutely the loss of the person. And Mm. especially when they know that if it had been for assisted death, that person might still be with them. I think it creates, you know, a a very difficult grieving process for, for many people. And I think we're only really beginning to, to hear about that in, in in the media in in Canada, you know, and I, I, I think, you know, the interesting, the comparison, but, animal euthanasia is is interesting and important because in many ways the fact that we euthanize animals seemed for many people to be an argument to offer it to humans as well you know if if i put my animal who's in pain out of mercy why wouldn't i also do that for my my loved one why wouldn't we offer that to to patients who are in pain and i think it speaks to the fact that we've really lost the sense that of just how profound and deep and sacred human, the kind of value that we humans have really is. It's categorically different from everything else in the world. We have what I, what I like to call intrinsic or um, inherent value. It's value that just comes by virtue of who we are, not, not what we can do, not what we bring to the world, not how much money we have, not kind of what talents or functional or ability um, it's purely because we're human that we're just so profoundly valuable mm. and a willingness to to end a human's existence is basically um, an, an admission that that their existence is not necessarily good that they're that they're not necessarily intrinsically valuable and so I want to push back against that and say you know I want I, I won't euthanize a patient because I think it's good that they're here yeah they're 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 so incredibly valuable that that, you know, the difficulties and suffering of this life doesn't undermine the the depth of their value and the goodness of their presence in our midst. And I would never want to lift my hand to end that. And I think that's what it means to understand and respect someone's true dignity. Mm. Dignity is is not just about 
getting what you want. It's about being treated in a manner that accords with the true depth of your value. And so, you know, it's important, I think, to flesh these concepts out a bit because, you know, when people talk about um, uh, dying, the right to die with dignity, often dignity is getting twisted in a certain way to mean something specific. Mm. Um, And people aren't completely understanding uh, the way that these words are being used or even twisted. So Mm. I just wanted to point that out. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much for that, because it's such an important reality and something that we need to think about as well. What what actually is dignity and how do we define it and what do we see it as? And if we're saying that, you know, to help someone in their life is is the dignity we seek, then what does dignity really mean? And I want us to take a really quick music break, but I don't want you to go anywhere because Dr. Gallagher is still with me after this. We're still going to be talking about this. I know it's such an important topic, so don't go anywhere. See you after this. Yeah, with me, Lauren Jacobson, Voice of Change today. I really hope that you have been with us from the very beginning of this conversation because it's an important one, one we don't hear often and one we need to flesh out more and more and actually expose ourselves to, especially as Christians, when we have deep spiritual and moral values and especially when it comes to human life. Now, Dr. Gallagher, I know that earlier on you actually touched on something that's really, really important. And I want us to really also speak about that is that in Canada, there have been reports of individuals obtaining assistance with dying because they have disabilities. You touched on that earlier on people that have disabilities or even there have been reports of people who maybe don't have access to good housing or aspects of their life that they can't control. And in these uh, areas, there's been this assistance in dying. And sometimes people have had a wrong diagnosis, even in the illness. It could be, oh, well, you have stage four cancer and there's no going back, or the diagnosis could be a certain way and the individual doesn't get a second opinion. And actually the diagnosis might be wrong. And, you know, suddenly they have this assistance in dying, but they don't know that their diagnosis is wrong. They have a disability or something is wrong. These aspects are normalized. And then it's like, okay, we're going to help these people and we're going to, you know, practice euthanasia. Should this be a concern for us? Because doesn't it then also touch over onto how do we then begin to see mental health issues and people who have severe mental health issues who might themselves then want to consider assistance in dying just because they have a mental health issue? This suddenly, some to me, seems a little bit of a fine line. And should we be concerned about this? Yeah, I think I think we should be very concerned. And I think many people are very concerned, both in Canada and, and outside Canada, but what about what's going on, you know, as, as things have progressed and as euthanasia has been offered to more and more people who don't have a terminal illness, but just find themselves in very difficult circumstances in life and feel like life is not worth living. It's become clear that this is a treatment that's not really about uh, relieving physical suffering. This is a treatment about um, giving people an escape from despair. And, uh, you know, all of the different things in life that drive us to despair, poverty, mental illness, isolation, loneliness, uh, all of these are becoming more and more prominent factors in the reasons that some people are seeking assisted death. And I think uh, what's very troubling is that 
you know, these people are often very isolated. And if anything, the, the request for death is sort of a cry for assistance. And in some cases, uh, you know, people, you know, neighbors or people more broadly have sort of risen up and raised money, created pathways for people to want to continue to live, you know, find better um, living conditions so that, mm. that they don't experience that same profound despair about their life. And so, you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of this suffering, and this suffering is real. It needs to be acknowledged, it needs to be faced, mm. and it needs to be addressed. But it can be addressed without simply ending somebody's life. And you know, again, with an issue like mental illness, where there's there's no um, direct physical ailment, but rather um, uh, mental illness, which you know, the suffering attached to that can again be. Uh, profound and severe, but it highlights the vulnerability of of uh, these patients to simply seeking a way out when when there might be ways to help them. And 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 as are we as a society demonstrating the value that we put on people when we're willing to end their existence mm. rather than to invest the resources that they need to uh, to live and to cope? I think what's become clear is that assisted death is fund- fundamentally devalues these people. And so, yeah, for lots of reasons um, and their concerns. Um, and I think one of the thing that's very concerning is that the, whereas at the at the outset of this, uh, the legalization of euthanasia in Canada, there was a ton of emphasis on personal autonomy on, mm. you know, this was a matter of individuals who, um, who, you know, ought to have the freedom to end their life when they want um, people who, who were empowered in life and should be able to have, you know, be empowered to control the timing and manner of their death. It was all about autonomy. And really what we're seeing more and more is that people who whose autonomy is threatened or marginalized or fundamentally limited by their uh, physical disabilities or um, by their uh, life circumstances, marginalization of various kinds, um, you know, those are, those are increasingly in the individuals who are being offered euthanasia. And in fact, uh, the head of the College of Physicians in Quebec recently proposed that uh, newborn infants with severe disabilities be offered euthanasia. And clearly they have no wow. autonomy, uh, significant capacity for decision making. So this is more and more wow. um, uh, reflecting judgments about whose life is worth living mm. and uh, less and less about simply, you know, giving people the freedom to make choices for themselves. Well, that's uh, that's a that's a big one. It, it sounds like again, like you're saying, it's this is not about autonomy. This then is about who should live and and who shouldn't live. And you spoke also. You mentioned the word suffering, and I think that's such an important word. We don't talk about it enough as Christians. And as a doctor and as a Christian, how would you suggest that we frame suffering? or frame illness even from the perspective of the cross, because it seems that assistance in dying is a way to be out of that suffering. And, and we can't take, we don't take anything away. We know that people who have cancer or chronic illnesses can be in incredible amounts of pain. And I, I know that because I've watched my loved ones and family members pass away because of cancer and we see the suffering and we see the pain. So we're not saying that it's not, you know, it's not there and it's not a reality and we're not downplaying it. But how do you suggest we frame suffering in this world that what we experience through the perspective of, of Jesus, how should we see it? Yeah, thank you, Lauren, for that that question. 
Yeah, I would I would begin by by saying that I think the problem of suffering, the problem of responding to suffering, is fundamentally a a spiritual challenge. It's a spiritual problem rather than a medical one. And in many ways, assisted death is actually a kind of spiritual intervention. Um, because as I said, it's not really about improving or assisting the the functioning of the body. It's simply about giving people an escape from despair. And, you know, if you read this, read studies of patients who um, have sought assisted death, the vast majority for them, the struggle is that they don't see any point in going on in life. They don't see that their life has meaning any longer. This problem of meaning mm-hmm. is sort of the fundamental motivation for seeking assisted death. If, if life is meaningless, um, there's no point in going on because you're losing your autonomy and, and you're um, not, you can't do and have everything that you want. Um, that becomes the main motivation for, for seeking assisted death. So in many ways, this is really all about the problem of finding meaning in the face of, of suffering. Mm. So it's a, it's a spiritual struggle. And I think everyone's um, trying to figure out how to respond to that, whether Christian or secular or otherwise, this is really a question of how are we going to respond spiritually to suffering? And so for some people, the answer as well is take death into my own hands. And, mm. and I think the good news of the gospel for those of us who are Christians and for those of us who want to invite others to 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 know Jesus in the gospel is that that because of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, we know that suffering is not useless. Um, mm. That a life with suffering is not meaningless. There is a point to all this. Mm. Now we don't always completely understand in the moment what our suffering is for, but when we when we look at um, the you know how Christ suffered and how how much good he accomplished for us through his suffering and we understand that you know uh we are uni- united as believers we're united to him in his in his death and his resurrection and we can be confident that that the same way that god brought great good out of his suffering uh, and you know his suffering brought him to glory our suffering is going to accomplish that same good for us that fills us with confidence and makes it actually worthwhile. So, you know, for example, uh, Paul says in, in uh, second Corinthians, this momentary light momentary affliction is not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. Um, our suffering is working for us a, a weight of eternal glory. And um, so it just fills us with confidence that, you know, we don't choose death Um uh, and the reason we don't choose death is not because we don't think we're better off dead. We, in fact, we mm. are convinced we're better off dead, but we see deep meaning and significance in going on with life, even if if God calls us to suffer. Mm. And I think that's that's at the at at to me that's really the at the bottom of all this. Is, is there a point to living with suffering? And for many people, the answer is no. And so, assisted death makes almost makes sense, except for the fact that it. It uh, fundamentally uh, violates their intrinsic uh, value and dignity, but but it's but this intervention is really aimed at, at 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 that problem, and so I think the gospel has so much to offer um, mm-hmm. on this issue because it helps us to make find meaning in our suffering. Mm. Thank you so much for that. And in closing, there is one question I want to ask, and it's probably it's it's probably quite a challenging one and probably quite a big one, but. Here, as we are in South Africa, many Christians do not agree with assistance in death and will stand 
you know, and say, if, if there is a vote on this and we have to decide on this, we don't want it. You know, we don't want to stand for this. What would your challenge be to the Christian community, even out here in South Africa and even beyond, who still have to kind of in inverted commas decide on this issue and where they're going to go? What would be your challenge to all of us listening? And what would be your final thought that you would leave with us when we consider, you know, that this is a reality that we still don't have to face here, but could be something because people are starting to talk about it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think the most important thing that we can do is make those around us who are suffering or who feel weak, um, that we remind them just how important it is that they're in our midst, that we live in a way and that, that so that our words and actions show them just how much they matter to us. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, if something like assisted suicide was ever to become available to them, they wouldn't really feel moved to get it because they know that they're needed here still. I think mm-hmm. people, you know, people are so isolated. Um, I think they need to be reminded that just how much they matter, just how much they're needed here. And I think we do that by by fellowship, by spending time with one another, by seeking um, one another out. And I think that takes a very deliberate kind of culture and habit. But I think fundamentally that's what our Lord envisioned for, uh, for us would be mm-hmm. that, you know, loving one another, we would make one another feel so valuable that death would never really be an attractive escape option. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there's a role for advocacy at, at the political level. And, and certainly, I think one thing that Christians in South Africa can pray is that that freedom of conscience would be maintained uh, throughout the world. And I think that's a significant issue of ongoing deliberation at uh, a mm-hmm. global level is to what extent should conscientious objectors be per- permitted the freedom to object to practices like euthanasia that are growing in, in uh, acceptance in certain quarters? And I think um, preserving that freedom of conscience creates a safe space for patients who don't want to uh, to be affected by these things uh, so that, that we can practice in a manner that reflects the true dignity and value of the patients that we're looking after. Mm. So those, those would be just some of the things that come to mind for me. Mm, awesome. Thank you so much for that. Dr. Golliger, it's been such a profound blessing for me today to just hear from you and to just have this conversation with you and also just to kind of feel your heart on this issue as well. I'm so incredibly grateful for your time today and for having this conversation with me, but also for standing up and being such a compassionate and a powerful voice on this issue. And I'm going to say thank you. Thank you not only for your time and for being here, but thank you for everything that you are doing and for all the people that you are serving as a doctor and who is called into that position and who has been given that by God as well. So thank you so much for this. Thank you, Lauren. It's really been a privilege to talk with you. Thank you so much. And uh, I just pray God will richly bless you. And thank you for being here. Okay, take care. I need a moment after this conversation and a lot to think about, uh, but yet my heart is moved. It's incredibly moved by the love and compassion that Dr. Galiga shared around this topic with us and just to hear his heart. And I always believe that people who are working in a field that we are kind of learning about or looking at they are the ones whose voices matter because they are the ones that see that experience and that know and so today I want to join hands with you 
as my fellow listener and say, let us really earnestly know what it is that we believe. And our beliefs will impact everything that we do. It's not a case of that, well, because it's not legal here, I don't have to worry about it. What if one day the debate comes up and it becomes a very strong debate as to where do we stand when that happens? How do we protect the dignity of people with an actual definition of what dignity really, really is? And, you know, I was impacted by something that Dr. Golliger said. And he said that we have to love one another so deeply that death doesn't seem or like it is an option. Because people's lives are so valuable and have such dignity that we have to take it upon ourselves to see one another like that. That they do not feel that people who are suffering, who are ill, who maybe have a chronic illness, maybe have a disability, or even those struggling with their mental health, feel so seen and so belonging, so, such, such a belonging with us as Christians that we can love each other so deeply, the highest commandment that Jesus Christ himself gave us to love our God, to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves to see that people have dignity and that dignity is not about you know just trying to get them comfortable at the end but it's about them knowing everybody knowing that they have dignity and worth and your time here on earth is valuable and it's valuable to me and it's valuable to the family and it's valuable to the church and it's valuable to society no matter what it looks like i'm reminded of my father-in-law who passed away this year whose death we still mourn and whose presence we still miss deeply on this earth but right up until the day of his death and his short cancer battle that he had he was a children's church pastor for decades right up until the day that he died people were bringing his there there to him they were bringing their children to be prayed for by him not because he was elijah not because he was john the baptist but because he was a man whose heart was after god's and he left behind that legacy so that we saw we have pictures of him in his frailty leaning over babies who were weeks old praying for them because that was always what he did and those children's lives were always blessed and so right up until the end of his life he carried himself with dignity and with faith setting an example for us that no he didn't need that assistance in dying that was offered to him but he was going to do everything that he wanted to do for God until God took that final breath from him and I pray it's not all of our stories it's not all of our realities for all of us who have watched our loved ones pass but it can be a hopeful story may we know where we stand on this issue and I pray today that as we reach this season this holiday season this festive season this time where many reflect on Jesus that if you have loved ones that are suffering with illness right now that God's grace and comfort would be with you in this time and that their dignity will be be protected and that your love would be felt by by each other and that God's grace would fully fully be with you and your loved ones during this time it's been good to be with you on the show today good to have a hard conversation that's been difficult to hear and also experience but one that we need to know where we stand and I keep saying that because it continues to be the truth take care may God bless you until next week see you then 
This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.